This is the one with wavelength broadcast power transduction. Quasar 5 by way of Simeon Empire, Second Dynasty. Gallifrey bending over to not one, but two alien invasions. And a half-hour pageant that no one questions even once. It's called The Invasion of Time. Here we go! We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space Counting Daleks, Dalent, Boot and the Cybertronic race Suntarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes please Episode by episode we're trudging down this temporal road Come join us on this odyssey, what other choice could there be than Who back when? Who back when? Well, hello there, you fabulous people out there in podcast land. Welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dog Past. Or Dog Past, indeed. <laughs> I, myself, Jim, am here with that voice you heard there. That's me, Leon. That's Leon, yeah. And you're Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Leon. Hi. This is Jim, <laughs> saying hi back. <laughs> we are coming through your earballs to talk about the invasion of time, C097. Closing in on that 100th serial. Oh my god, so close. Yeah, very close. Exciting stuff. Not quite made it in this series, because this is the end of this series. It is, yeah. Season 15? Season 15 is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, by the end of this, we will be in March 1978. And also by the end of this, a lot of things will have changed. Right. A lot is changing. The end of the 70s, the encroaching 80s, they're just, they're just waiting around the corner. I feel a little bit like the end of Withnell and I when he's talking about the end of an era. Oh. Yeah. But there's a lot that happens in this serial before we get to the ending. Holy moly, yes, and we have tons more serials to go. And so we do have tons more serials. Fret not, this yeah. is not the end of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. But should we give the wonderful people some kind of summary of this before we possibly rip it apart? Jim, you have a huge heart. (laughs) Let's do it. Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The Doctor signs an agreement with some aliens in their cosy egg-themed base, but Leela hasn't been invited to the party. She was left in the TARDIS with K9 who has a handle on what's going on, but isn't being at all cooperative. The Doc's agreement appears to involve becoming the president of Gallifrey, because before we know it, that's where we are, and the Time Lords are soon ushering in the age of the Doctor. But it's all an elaborate ploy to disable Gallifrey's global defence shields and facilitate an invasion force of three to beam down to the surface and demand the immediate disabling of Gallifrey's global defence shields. (laughs) A different alien invasion force is masterminding this one, though, and this six-part season closer soon turns into an intra-relativistic Hanna-Barbera game of cat and mouse. Miscal over, you are welcome. welcome. Oh, aren't you just? Oh, they're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So you may recall, dearest Jim, that I promised that I would make notes about what I remembered of this serial when I saw it as a kid. Now you've made me recall, I do recall that, yes. <laughs> I made not one, not two, but five bullet points Ooh. Yeah, of things that I remembered. Shall I just run through them super quickly and you can tell me if I remember them correctly or not? Okay, in one. Very high budget with super high production value and beautiful <laughs> outfits. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Uh-huh. All, right. All right, number two. The Doctor learns that he's the heir to the throne of Gallifrey. 
ish. Yeah. Pretty close. Not quite, but kinda. Uh, we can come back to that. So yeah. Come back yeah. To that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Put a pin on that. Number three. He accepts the role in order to save Gallifrey, possibly from a plot by one of the high-ranking Time Lords to destroy the planet. Yeah. Mm. All right. Okay. I feel like she was. Yeah. There. I feel like my memory's trying to write a better serial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, number four. We get to see the Gallifreyan caves. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm thinking of something else entirely. Something yeah, else young entirely. Leon, not sure what was going on there. <laughs> or maybe I'm literally thinking of a different serial. <laughs> if the next one takes place in caves, then we know where that came from. And last but not least, I filled in a little bit of blanks here. So I didn't remember, I remembered the character of Barusa, but I didn't remember Barusa as such. Okay. So I filled in the blank of Barusa here. But Barusa saves the day by raising some sort of force field around Gallifrey. And I've then also filled in a blank about that to sort of illustrate how I remember this. Namely, that I thought that this was the dome around the citadel. You know, like the stereotypical view yeah. of Gallifrey? I thought this was where that was. Totally wrong. <laughs> but that's what I thought was happening. Okay. Yeah. I think... Um, Where's my cave-based adventure? <laughs> There are plenty of cave-based adventures, okay, come yeah. on. Yeah, that's true. That's Let's true. not be hankering for more of those. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that quarry's been used to death. <laughs> yeah, this one, if anything, does have some interesting location shoots because they found a swimming pool from somewhere. We finally get to see it. The long-lost TARDIS swimming pool. <laughs> kind of got a feeling that they might be running around the swimming baths when they're doing the Hanna-Barbera Scooby-Doo-ish <laughs> yeah. stuff, but maybe not. Well, regardless, you're absolutely right. We get to see so many locations, and most of them are inside the TARDIS. Yes, we get something I don't recall seeing in Old Who before, Mm -hmm. of adventuring in the TARDIS, when it's set up to be a sort of surreal... It's it's not a spaceship, it's just a... There was one where we got to see a little bit more, right? I can't remember which one it was now, but where we saw what looked very much like an office building. Oh, okay. Or am I making this up? Where, Where it's like, oh, that's the boot cupboard. Do you remember that bit? I remember that they've been in other rooms and we were going okay. like, oh, this is a different room. Oh, yeah, yeah, this cool, isn't the cool, console yeah, yeah. room. Uh, but here's like, there are brick walls. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's some sort of arboreum. There's a swimming pool. Yeah, it's building on the bigger on the inside, definitely. Certainly. There's clearly like the loading dock at the back of the BBC building. There's... <laughs> <laughs> The prop department's workshop. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Loved seeing so much of the TARDIS. Really cool. The other, what seems to be an outside shoot, because the camera changes, the lighting changes, and the, I don't okay. know, they, they yeah. swap out the cameras, is when they're dealing with the barrier itself. They, it looks like they're in some kind of industrially oh, place, yeah. but they've put some props around it to make it look a bit disused. and Yeah, that's true. And something for store to punch. One of my notes when we get to that bit is why does it look broken? It's a machine that already looks like it has almost exploded. Yeah. And Castellan later on, even the last time that we could see it, in the same scene where Storr punches the the crap out of this machine, Castellan even says, it's a mess. It's really difficult to get this to work. And I get the impression it's because it's a broken machine. Like, What is this location? What is that machine? And why does it have to be broken for this plot? Yeah, I wasn't quite sure about that either. Because the doc's already been there as well. And it yeah. was just as broken when he was there. It was broken before he arrived. I'll yeah. include a screenshot of this on whoback1.com podcast land. Because that is a broken machine that they have used as a prop, I feel. See, I thought the broken bits looked different to the real world machinery. Oh, I, I, I felt like they had intentionally put in 
props that looked broken. But that then doesn't make sense for the story for me. I don't know if it's kind of implying a bit of Logan's runness about Gallifreyan society, that there's stuff been in parts that's been around forever. It's just been working. No one <laughs> it's knows. eroding. Yeah, yeah but, no one really cares about it anymore. <laughs> but then that's all flipped around because Rodan can obviously repair loads of stuff and Castellan Kelner knows how to bypass things and all yeah, this kind of stuff. So that's true. it's not forgotten technology oh, by I'm, a long I want to high five you so bad right now for remembering all these names. Well done. <laughs> I, I've had to sit through six episodes of this. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's funny that you mentioned Logan's Run. On IMDb Trivia, it is credited as one of the um, inspirations for part of this serial. In particular, the scene or the sequence where uh, Leela and uh, Rodan? Rodan. Or the, the, the Gallifreyan yeah. woman. When they escape out of the Citadel and into the, the Badlands where the Conans are. Okay, it's it's a nice place to get inspiration from. Sure. Is this what you want to tell the viewers about Gallifrey? Uh, shall we start there? Shall we start <laughs> with what this sets up about Gallifrey and law and their society? I mean, I guess it's building on stuff we've seen before. We're starting to realize Gallifreyans, Time Lords, whichever split you want to do. I mean, they're all dicks and many of dicks. them are apparently cannibals. Is that, is that the implication you got from the, the dudes barbarians out outside? Yeah, they're totally cannibals. I mean, when Leela goes, we need to get more of the Time Lords out here, and the lead Conan, he goes, yes, but we need to get a lot of them if we're to feed all of us. Leela even oh, has to really? go, not to eat them, to rescue them. <laughs> oh, I must have missed that entirely. <laughs> wow. I could quite happily have lived not seeing mm. that whole barbarian thing, and ultimately I don't know if it was necessary. <laughs> I don't think it was at all. Yeah. It's a very strange thing to have, though. They're meant to be such a refined society, so why are there outcasts to begin with, or people who choose to live outside of the Citadel? Because it seems as though outside of the Citadel, there is nothing. Yeah. There's just a bunch of weird cannibals Sad. and whatever animals they had to slay in order to make those really funky coats. <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't imagine there to be barbarians on this planet. And it's also, it's making the annoying thing of, well, there's an entire planet, but everyone lives in this one... One citadel. Citadel. Yeah. Which, ugh, come on. Related topics have been discussed on this podcast. That every single time that we get to see Gallifrey, it is always that citadel. It is always that yeah, bubble. that's fair. And nothing outside of it, with the exception of the not the barn the stables wherever where doc grew up yes which may or may not have been next to an orphanage exactly <laughs> and possibly actually inside the bubble <laughs> <laughs> who knows but yeah this this is what they've set up they set up the time lords in particular yeah gallifreyans possibly as a whole sure basically have no relationship with nature absolutely not so i mean in that but sense what nature is there exactly I mean, it's a desert planet. I get, no, you're right, actually. Even those that live outside, yeah, have, have nothing. But the ones that we look at as being civilized, because yeah. they have a civilization, live with maybe they grow some trees in pots. We don't know. We never see them. Sure. But yeah, they don't have an outside. They don't have a sky. They just have buildings. That's true. But in later episodes, in New Who in particular, where we get to see life in the citadel and their you know around the 50th anniversary we get to see the actual battle inside the citadel they do look up and i i mean they're not always indoors they they have streets and little piazzas and you know that sort of thing yeah so it seems as though they are kind of in tune with it but maybe the citadel is there to just make for a there's like probably nicer air and a better temperature in there outside it, it it's a freaking mad max world out there i guess I mean, that's all well and good for what we know in New Who, but 
just from this cereal, oh, yeah, okay. it really looks like they live in buildings. That's true. Without a sky. <laughs> and these barbarians live yeah. in nature. They enjoy life, yeah. Of, of what? But what do we get is? to see in this? I mean, we get to see this. I th- okay, I was about to say the same set, but it, at least a very similar set to the one that we got to see in The Deadly Assassin. As in with like the... Like the set, not the Senate, but it, like where all the time lords gather, where, yeah, where the, coronation, the coronation place. Yeah, exactly. I, I forget. I think they have a name for it. it. It is kind of a ceremonial place. But okay. And so maybe that's sort of like the parliamentary slash, like the palace grounds or whatever. Yeah. Because it's both where the, the parliament or the Senate. I don't know. I, actually, I don't know what political body we just witnessed, but I know that there's also a president who wears a crown. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to mix some uh, some forms of government here. It's a uh, absorb the knowledge and possibly personalities of all your previous presidents crown. That's true. You know, slash wear the matrix thing. Yeah. But m- my point being, we are always in that building. We're always in the parliamentary building. They never have to go outside into another building. We're always like basically in a handful of rooms. So we don't know. Maybe they do have a nice life of you know, fresh air and parks and and that sort of thing. It's just that we don't even need to see it in this storyline. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It's Rodan that I find the slight anomaly to this because she's in charge of dealing with the shields Yeah. for the entire Citadel. Uh-huh. So she doesn't have to be in that building. Like, I'm not quite sure how far Leela is meant to have run to escape people to then stumble across yeah. Rodan. It doesn't seem very far. No. But you would imagine that position not being directly next to place where presidential ceremonies happen. That's true. But also her... And I th- who else do we get? Well, I think we just get some random other Time Lord out there. I can't think well, of Well, there's Andred. Is it, is it just Andred? There's so? Andred, there's Barusa, there's the Castellan. They're all outside at one point. Oh, outside? Oh, no, sorry. No. Outside, it's just... Yeah, it's just Leela and, and Rodan, I think. Yeah, okay. But I, I kind of got the feeling, I, I can't remember exactly, but, you know, Rodan's experience outside, yes, okay, it's a desolate wasteland, but she's very much kind of like, why would we leave the Citadel? It's, yeah. It's not any kind of sense of, wow, this is the rest of the planet, you know, any... Or even, hey, I come here all the time. Yeah. You know, or wait, let me show you the way. But I think that's possibly because it's such an insanely hostile environment. It's hot, it's arid, and it's teeming with cannibals. Well, or just really lame, overweight barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly been eating too much Time Lord. Yeah, that stuff make you fat. Yeah. <laughs> Them Time Lords go straight to your hips. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but wait, hang on. So, more about Time Lord lore here. In The Deadly Assassin, we got to see the politics involved in selecting a ruler, right? So we had the master, he was trying to manipulate politics and and choose a a new Lord President in order to himself get a hold of Rassilon's gear. And it seemed very much like, I mean, it's a democracy. They are elected representatives of their houses or whatever, and they themselves them elect a president. And most often, the president comes from the house of. Oh, I forget. I forget but as well. The one that the doc- doctor doc is part of. Yeah, exactly. Fast forward to this serial. The doctor signs an agreement with a species who are not Gallifreyans to just arrive on Gallifrey and declare, "Hey, I am now your president." So I think that agreement is him just agreeing to help. The, the invaders, Vardens. Okay. the Vardens, yeah. 
I don't think that has anything to do with him getting the presidency. So why is he... Well, this is the pin from your memories ah, past. Okay. Because I'm pretty sure he outright claims to be the heir of Rassilon. And I forget exactly oh, really? how we left things in the, the previous one. I forget as well. There was a lot of umming and Like, I think Doc was potentially viable for the presidency. Oh, really? And there was the... Oh, and he didn't want it, and now he's come to claim it. I don't, I'm not quite sure if it was that clear-cut that oh. he kind of walked away from it and he's just come back. Wait, oh. wait, wait. Some Suddenly this kind of makes sense to me. Another one of my notes is people keep calling him the president-elect, but he was never elected. But in The Deadly Assassin, doesn't he run a competing campaign against uh, what's-his-face? Is that it? So he... Maybe he won. I think, he, like, technically he should have been the president back then. Because the guy he yeah. ran up against, like, the only opposing candidate, turned out to be a massive criminal. Yes. And probably murdered. I, th- I think that is it. I think what I just find very surprising in this serial is I'm pretty damn sure Doc claims to be an the heir end. of Rassilon. Which is possibly what that house means. Maybe that's why it has this oh, air of respect. and Maybe a house is effectively a family. So if you are a member of that family, then you are de facto an heir. <laughs> yeah, but, I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. I missed that line. I feel like it's a, it's a big ask of this story to cover that so quickly without any kind of... Like these days, you'd get an annoying previously on Doctor Who yeah, to fill you, <laughs> fill you in with a little bit so you should have remembered Which from then clearly spoils the rest of the episode because, you know, oh, well, why, wouldn't you remi- why would you remind me of yeah, this? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm not saying that's a good way of doing this, but you're su- it's a sort of surprising there's no kind of dialogue to slow this down a bit and remind the audience why Doc is eligible to be the president. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And there's no contention about it at all. It's just, okay, Doc's back. Yeah, okay, he wants to be the president. Fine, he's the president. Deadly Assassin, by the way, C-088. Yeah, that's a good old while ago. That's eight episodes times four, let's say, on average. Yeah. That's how many weeks have passed since that conclusion of, oh, yeah, he's now de facto the president-elect. That's basically two years. That's a crazy amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if that is two years, given the way that things run and there's a gap. Yeah, possibly. Anyway. I've got more questions for you. Was any of this really necessary? As in, (laughs) why the fuck did Doc agree to go along with this plot in the first place? For example, he doesn't need to go along with the coronation in order to stop them. The only reason he has to stop them is because he started them to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think he wants to be president, does he? I don't no, know. I don't think so either. He's, he sort of gets quite interested in finding the great key because no one's ever had it before. Yeah. In but, order to get a weapon that will totally annihilate anyone you fire it at. Yeah. Which, given the technology and age of spaceships with big fuck-off guns, doesn't seem that great. It's a gun. Okay, yeah. it's a gun. The Doctor in episode six goes, I could rule the universe with a weapon like this. <laughs> no, it's a gun. Like, what are you going to... Are you going to point this rifle at a planet? Like, someone's gonna, just going to sneak up behind you and knock you over the head and take yeah. it away from you. Like, I mean, if Store wasn't in love with his own very dramatic crap voice, <laughs> <laughs> he could have set off that grenade that he's claiming would destroy the entire planet and his battalion in orbit. Not just that. The Doctor clarifies the entire galaxy. Oh, the entire galaxy. Okay. Why? It's a grenade. Yeah, Storr has a grenade, doing air quotes. Yeah. (laughs) 
that can destroy a galaxy docks over the moon. He's got a gun that can destroy one, one individual. At a time. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, is it maybe that it would destroy the galaxy only because it's detonated there? Like, because they are You know ins- what? I don't care. The ta- I don't care. The TARDIS? Is that inside the TARDIS? No, they're, they're back into the... They- Presidency I, room, I know they? it's that room, but I was wondering, have they just repurposed this room as a part of the TARDIS at this point? Yeah, I wasn't quite sure, because cause Storr at this point has wandered off from the main crew who are running around the TARDIS. Yeah. And I, I didn't know if he had basically nipped out to go and throw a little grenade. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? Okay. Like, right. why should a grenade dropped in the TARDIS actually blow up everything else? I don't know. Why does episode five end with the Doctor going, I'm going into a black star? What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> More things that were they really necessary? Running around Gallifrey. I said this in parallel to running around the inside of the TARDIS because they're very similar. For like two episodes in a row, we get the Doctor setting up something. On Gallifrey, it is the lead-clad room. Oh, yeah. And then we have him running down corridors for like two episodes, even disabling the defenses only so that he will have an excuse to run down further corridors so that he can go back into the lead clad room where he was in the beginning, (laughs) (laughs) which is already safe on its own and would be even safer had he not turned off the defenses. In the TARDIS, the equivalent of the lead clad room is the workshop where he leaves Rodan and K-9 to build this rifle. Yeah. And then we have an episode of him running down corridors, defenseless, only to then come back to the workshop where he started off in the first place and where, by the way, K-9 and Rodan have been completely unguarded. Yeah. And he didn't need to run around. He could just have stayed there. It probably would have been faster to build the rifle if they had done it together. (laughs) Very true. So did we need an episode of him running around? Sorry, did we need two episodes of him running around? Well, I submit to you... Okay, oh, here we go. This is going to be good podcast land. In the sake of us talking about crap things, yep. if the Doc wasn't running around the TARDIS, would we have got a Sontaran trying to leap over two centimeters of a swimming pool? <laughs> and falling. Then falling over a sun lounger. As a blooper. Then having a sun lounger thrown at him <laughs> so that he fell down a step. And then threw himself down the next step just because <laughs> he was directed to end up in that position. It said in the trivia that because the, the Suntaran outfits were so cumbersome and it was impossible to see where you were going wearing that mask, he literally tripped. Like, that guy injured himself in oh, that scene. Oh, I get the, the, and the they tripping kept bit. It. The yeah. tripping bit. Yeah, that's fine. I, don't okay. think, I think he carried it off. It was all right, you know. Oh, These you, things happen. Th- this is like Leo and Django Unchained. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Bleeding for his hour. Yeah. Someone give this Sontaran an Oscar nod. <laughs> but I think the real icing on the cake for me was, obviously he was meant to get attacked by a sun lounger from An- Andred. <laughs> that was actually in the script. That's ridiculous. That's true. But okay. <laughs> And he does, he falls over, the Suntaran falls over, and it's like, okay, okay, I've been, I've been wiped out by a sun lounger, job done. No, job is not done. I'm on this step. Shit. I'm pretty sure I was meant to be on the step below. Oh, I better just shift a little bit. (laughs) It's fucking amazingly bad. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing we would lose if Doc wasn't running around the TARDIS. 
Then we had the glorious scene uh-huh. of the whistling and weird noises of the Doctor in the Arboretum, botanical, botanical garden. gardens. And the freaking gigantic carnivorous plants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I is, love it. Which isn't even carnivorous. I don't know. It's just, oh, here's, I want to hug you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a really cuddly plant. Yeah. I would imagine that it is carnivorous, but because the Suntaran is wearing all that gear and that gigantic cast iron helmet, it was not ingested. Yeah, possibly. By the way, are you not happy? I'm so... Yeah, okay, okay. No, you're right. I'm very pleased that we got those scenes. Like, I'm I'm pleased that I get to talk shit about it. <laughs> I'm not really pleased I had to watch that. But <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is that there is so much footage across these six episodes, not just in those two where it's just pointless meandering back and forth, but there's so much footage of them just walking down corridors, going upstairs, walking back and forth across a piazza. Like, there's there's very little point to all this movement that you could have filled that with something else. You know, like, how about some dialogue? How about a plot that <laughs> makes more sense? How about more Sontarans or more Vardens? Yeah, I mean, the Vardens. So I, I said to you off-air, yeah. I was actually super loving this. Like, the first two episodes... <laughs> I'm not quite sure what happened to me. Oh, God. Like, I'm talk- talking about it now and just like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> What's wrong with but you? But I think I was I was just really intrigued. It was just the whole kind of thing of, <laughs> what the fuck is the Doc doing? He can't really be leading an invasion force on Gallifrey. There must be something going on. What's going to be happening? Yeah. And it was doing it in a way where I was just left intrigued. It, Interesting. It makes you kind of make assumptions it's like well okay. you know there must be something else going on here maybe doc's brainwashed maybe he's just got some big plan going on maybe the invaders aren't what they seem to be or something like this and i was quite enjoying it i was enjoying just putting things to the side and just waiting to see what the reveal would be but then as soon as that falls apart yeah and the vardens are just humans so like around part four well pretty much part three okay i like like, because episode two ends with the Doc going, bow to your new masters. Yep. Like, this has all just been like, what the fuck? Yep. Holy shit, Doc. You know, <laughs> bad guy Doc. What yep. the hell? Yep. There's obviously some bad points in it, but it's been really interesting. And then it just, I don't know, just kind of gets, where we get, well, yeah, this is where we get the barbarians outside. And yep. suddenly the <laughs> the plot is just twisting around a bit. And Leela's, Leela's being quite good, actually. She's kind of like thinking things through and going, Doc must have a plan. Is He wanted me to be outside, so I'm going to go outside like, i'm gonna expel myself sure there's some interesting <laughs> things of it but yeah I don't so know. i find that really interesting because my first note for part four is this is the episode where the story finally gets bearable oh and just highlights from parts one and two my notes i mean are part one if i have to listen to any more organ music i will shoot myself <laughs> and in part two did they not have time to write a script Parts one and two, I thought, were terrible. Really? <laughs> yeah. This is th- this is why it's just a massive pageant. Like, part one is just montages of him putting on a crown and, and people bowing to him. I-, I didn't find that there was that much substance to it, but it was glorious to behold. I say, weren't you just incredibly intrigued? Like, Doc is now president of Gallifrey. Yeah. What? Wank. Mind blown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy that that happened. <laughs> but I'm missing more of a setup. It just kind of belly flops. I get where you're coming from. Part one, it sets up so much. He has now been crowned president. <laughs> it's very topical, this. He's been crowned president. 
and then immediately just hands over the, the keys to his kingdom to, well, an alien invasion force. Yeah. Super interesting. But then it belly flops and it turns into, it's like, okay, part two. Why, why do they accept this? Do they just accept this because he is the president and they will do anything he says? Or do they accept this because the Vardens have semi-translucent cling film technology? Or is it like, what is it? What What is it about this invasion force of three that intimidates the Gallifreyans to such an extent that they will do nothing to fight them? Well, I stand by my point that episodes one and two are mostly not that. So it's hmm. it's, it's the latter bits that, okay. the middle bits that... Okay. With the Vardens, and okay. you're just like, yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea at what point Castellan Kellner, because we, we had this before, is it Castellan is the title? It's the title, yeah. His name is Kellner. Yeah, and I think based on this, we learn that Castellan is, the Castellan is the second in command of all of Gallifrey. I, I don't know, it seems a bit shit. Like, he, was seems more... like he will inherit the title of president if the current president dies. Oh, was that right? I think so. I think okay. that's clarified in this one, which is the only basis for my assumption. I think there was something else that was mentioned. I think Doc might have said Castellan was basically the head of the military or head of security. Okay. Because at this point, Barusa is... I think he's been promoted since last time we saw him. Is, has uh, he? I don't know. He's now wait, what is he? the chancellor. Chancellor, yes. Wait, who, was he not a chancellor before? I don't know. Maybe it was. Different actor, by the way. Oh, is it? I think so. Different actor. Looks identical. <laughs> As I say, I t- yeah. <laughs> I assumed it was the same guy. <laughs> Wait, I, I want to look that up, actually. John Arnott. Yeah, he was only Barusa in The Invasion of Time. The previous one was Deadly Assassin, in which Barusa was played by... <laughs> Sorry, I'm scrolling as quickly as I can over here. Angus McKay. And you're right, he was not a chancellor then. He was Cardinal Barusa. Yeah, that was it. So I, I remembered it being a slightly more religious sounding thing. Yeah, you're right. And I think he still holds some religious title, which may have been Cardinal or it might Wait, have been Bishop. One? Yeah, I think he has like two titles, but he's ah, okay. generally referred to as being the chancellor because that's the more He has a political one. title as well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's the thing. Ah, so in Deadly Assassin, yeah. the, the bad guy was Chancellor Goff. Yeah. So Barusa has taken that position because that guy got killed. Right. Yes. Okay. And there was a cast. Oh yes. I can't remember what happened. And, to that and, do- and there was no president. The president died in like the the opening the the, yeah. the cold open, and then we have the current chancellor and the doctor vying for the title of president. Yeah. Okay. This suddenly makes more sense. Actually, people should watch Deadly Assassin and then this one in direct succession, and Prob- then they yeah. should kill themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, no, it's just if they haven't seen it already, yeah. that's the way to watch them. <laughs> and then don't go back. Then uh, take a really long bath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting, actually. Just spotting on Wikipedia. Okay. Someone is listed as Castellan Guard. Is that a guard of Castellan? I or think is, so. Or is Castellan something to do with the security force? Anyway, this is y- yeah. tidbits about <laughs> Gallifreyan society. <laughs> It's like of interest largely to the human resources department of the Gallifreyan Citadel. <laughs> of which we are nominary men. Oh, yeah, 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 honorary, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but in parts one and two, I have also added a few other notes, which, all right, to give you an example of why I'm not a huge fan of, of the beginning of this. There are repeated scenes of guards looking for Leela, standing still, doing nothing. Lots of time passes on screen. Someone goes, have you seen her? Yeah, she went that way. And then, well, go after her then. Like, there are at least three scenes of that nature. 
there's a lot of stupid guards. Yeah. In it, this my serial. first note for part two. Everyone is just so incompetent. There is a lovely moment, I forget when it happens, where the doc runs past all the guards. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's the, the Sontarans. Yeah. Oh, you've got the new orders, have you? Yeah, get the the orders from store, are you? That's the exact, that's what I mean. That's an exact replica of that same scene. Like, someone wrote a template for that scene, (laughs) and then that template was applied multiple times throughout this six-episode arc. Yes, I can think of the leader one. She's following the doc. Yeah. Who is president at this point. Everyone's okay with him being president. Okay. But she is, because the doc has expelled her Uh for his outward plot that we don't know at this point. So the guards are meant to be searching for her and she's just walking casually behind him and she just goes, I'm with him. Yes, exactly. That's That's what I mean. There are so many instances of this. It is just the laziest writing and we see a lot of it in the beginning. And then we, uh, and I guess we then see a lot of it at the end. It's the middle bits where they kind of tool around with new ideas. That's when, in whatever it is, part three, maybe when we go outside, we meet the barbarians. There's some new stuff happening. Yeah. But it just seems a little lazy. Yeah, I think that's fair. Have you read trivia about this? You've got something good here. Well, for a start, this was written in two weeks. <laughs> okay. Four days of which were rewrites. Oh, oh my goodness. So apparently, this is all from Wikipedia, so yeah, pinch of salt always with this kind of stuff. But it was a replacement for a story that was originally called The Killers of the Dark. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which David Weir had penned. But that was considered too expensive, too complex, not going to do that one. Yeah, did you? What the fuck we're going to do? Did you see why it was considered too expensive? I, I don't know why. No, why is that? Okay, so it, this is from IMDb, I think. The Killers of the Dark, an ambitious adventure about a race of cat people with ties to Gallifrey. It included elements such as a forum the size of Wembley Stadium <laughs> full of cat people. It was deemed impossible to achieve even on a film budget and abandoned. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but it's okay to depict an entire society with eight yeah. people on screen. Because <laughs> that's what happens on every single episode of Absolutely. Doctor Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, clearly someone at the BBC went, we haven't shot at Wembley Stadium yet. Can we get 200,000 cats? <laughs> <laughs> However many fit into Wembley Stadium. Probably not 200,000. You know what I'm talking about. 10,000. However many. If it's we're talking actual cats, it's probably a, yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the script is also, it's credited to David Agnew. Oh, right. Which is a pseudonym used when the BBC is marking uh, in-house production stuff. Oh, right. Which I guess means it was written by a team rather than a single Mm. person. I feel like we've come across that name before, but now I forget. Yeah, quite possibly. That's very cool. Um, But it was Robert Holmes himself that suggested it got split so that we have the Sontarans coming in right at the end and having their own adventure. It feels very much like two separate serials. It's just bonkers. It's like you have a four-episode arc, and then someone Im- decided immediately to do a remake of those four episodes in two episodes, <laughs> yeah. but make it slightly more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think there's something else I said, said um, off-air, that I accidentally spoiled myself looking at Wikipedia before I'd finished watching the entire serial yeah. and I saw that Sontarans were going to appear. Yeah. And then when we got the reveal of the Vardens looking like humans, firstly, I was surprised. I was like, oh, what? Where are the Sontarans? <laughs> Did I look at the wrong thing? And then I kind of thought, okay, well, this is the invasion. They must be Sontarans. <laughs> now, now they've decided to fake look like humans rather than fake looking like 
whatever they were before. Yeah. Little bits of transparent paper wafting in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> Cling film tech. But yeah, I, I had not anticipated that, no, there would be an entirely other invasion waiting in the wings. Yeah. To the point where I... I think Doc is basically celebrating. Is like, yeah, we got rid of the Vardens. Hey, what's wrong with you guys? What are you guys looking at? <laughs> oh my goodness. Which is a fantastic cliffhanger. Yeah. Ish. Okay, I mean, what are the cliffhangers we get? We get... Uh, oh, they're pretty terrible in this. <laughs> cliffhanger one, I am now your president. No, cliffhanger one is the Doc with the Matrix. And it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's, Doc it's might like die because... breaking his brain. Yeah. But we've, we had an entire episode multiple episodes of him in the matrix fighting for stuff is like he was fine like yeah exactly but that was a whole machine that was the matrix not just a crown the matrix yeah Yeah. okay fine part two cliffhanger the new masters arrive yeah bow to your masters that's quite cool yeah part three andy is about to blast dr kingdom come blair yeah part four the new masters arrive (laughs) yeah (laughs) part five the tardis is thrown into a black star but why? Bollocks. Yeah. Which feels very much like a rehash of Doc's brain imploding under the weight of the Matrix. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it both end with him just going, oh no, you know? Yeah. Doc, Doc exclaiming something we don't necessarily know how bad it is. Exactly. Yeah. And then part six is the last part where, oh man. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say this. I, I dislike it when people who have pets and those pets tragically pass away and those people then go out and get new pets and give them the old pets names <laughs> i don't like it <laughs> i also do not like that yeah especially with slapping on a two yeah it, that's <laughs> the doc couldn't give a smaller damn about leela and k9 in this one yeah the, he doesn't even say goodbye to leela no not he... to her face he says goodbye inside the TARDIS by himself. Because he's an arsehole. He starts this serial as an arsehole, which, which you think is just subterfuge. Yeah. And it kind of is. Yeah. But it's just a bookend it for him being <laughs> an arsehole when everyone's saying goodbye. I'll miss you too, Savage, is a really nice line. It's a lovely line, in fact. It is. And I kind of like... I want him to say goodbye to her face, though. Yeah. Like you, you don't, her. You don't expect an embrace... That's not the relationship they built up. Like, she never kind of got beyond the, the kind of savagery nature, which yeah. was what made her so interesting. Yeah. Doc isn't a particularly heartfelt character, I don't think. He has been on occasion, though. I mean, in terms of companion goodbyes, there have been some absolutely lovely moments. But this this doctor? like uh, Not this doctor. Wait, I, hang on. How was it when he said goodbye to Sarah Jane? Well, that was dropping her off before... In- what, we're going to circle back to this before the Deadly Assassin, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. Um, he dumps her there because he's going to go and have his deadly assassin adventure. Exactly. Well, he definitely dumps her in the wrong place for yeah, a start. Yeah, it's not Croydon. <laughs> Which, okay, is kind of... Yeah, you dodged a bullet. I can't Sarah remember Jane. What... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Croydon listeners, okay? Uh, sorry. <laughs> I actually don't remember what that exchange was like, do you? I, whether it was just, here you go. I think he doesn't say goodbye. I think... Well, no, sorry, he does say goodbye. She decides to stick around right because he's been an asshole and you're not allowed to come can't come here yeah and then that's just it that's the end of all the adventures you can't come to gallifrey so fuck it we're done yeah i know this is a time machine you could literally just wait here a second yeah i'll be right back (laughs) but yeah no you're no i'm sorry i don't remember the exchange either but i feel like it was more heartfelt At, at the very least 
They they spoke to each other. Exactly. There's yeah. some sort of interlocution. On prior occasions, pre this Doctor, we've had some companions leave because the BBC decided to write in some sort of last minute romance or, you know, just a very sudden, oh, uh, no, she fell in love. <laughs> so that's why she left. Well, not at all what happened in this one, of course. <laughs> So we've had that before, but there's always, at the very least, a hug and a thank you so much, good luck, you two, blah, 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 blah. Even with, I dare say, Susan, Susan Foreman, his granddaughter, whom he just left in post-apocalyptic London because she suddenly fell in love with some dude who had never been vetted, by the way. (laughs) But even then, he has a conversation with her through the TARDIS, like... Over speakers or whatever. Oh, yeah, this is the scene in the... Yes, in the biopic. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it's a beautiful, really sad monologue. And we we have lots of moments of, like, the Doctor going, oh, fuck, now I'm alone. Like, my buddies have left me. And this this time around, Doc is just grinning from ear to ear that he's got a Mark II canine. He refers to canine on a number of occasions in this serial as his second best friend... I always thought Leela is his best friend in that case. Yeah. Because you'd like to think so. But given how this ends, it seems as though Mark II is his best friend. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, the the whole goodbye setup is just pretty terrible all around. I yeah. think it's kind of nice that we have Leela having a kind of second moment of, is the doc going to be okay? Is he going to be lonely? Yeah. It was incredibly labored that her and K9 like, bow their heads down in at the same sadness time. <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Perfect unison. It's like, okay, the K9 prop can only go this speed. <laughs> Louise Jameson, can you just match that, please? <laughs> but it's still, like, it's a sweet sentiment, even though I yeah. agree, it looked like shit. No, it, w- it was a nice, it was a nice little moment to have. Yeah. But again, it's just, why don't we get any of that sentiment between the doc and K9 or the doc and Leah? Yeah. It's just, it's far too quick of just, I want to stay. Do you know the trivia around Leela's exit? No, let's hear it. So we might have actually discussed this before, but Louise Jameson did not want to get written off in this way. Oh, really? She wanted Leela to get killed. <gasps> what? Yeah. Okay. I mean, which would, to it would totally fit with her character. Yeah. And would totally fit with the rest of this story. Yes. <laughs> As in there is no hint, really, of <laughs> romance between Andred and Leela. So, oh, and she just didn't get her way. But the BBC didn't want to yeah, kill her they, off on a kids show or something. Yeah, they were worried about how younger viewers would react to the companion being killed. But am I right in thinking previous companions have been killed off? We've had, I'm trying to think, there's certainly, oh, what's her name? You know what? There's an easier way to find out. I'm just going to go to whobackwhen.com. Checking out the Vindex, Doctors and Companions. My goodness, isn't this nifty? Uh, Katerina of Troy, I want to say, who showed up in... Yeah, she showed up in The Myth Makers, was around... Just sort of accidentally stumbles into the TARDIS or doesn't know what she's looking for, just ends up in the TARDIS as he's dematerializing. Uh. And then is there for the Daleks Master Plan, which is the ensuing uh, serial, and in it sacrifices herself to rescue the Doctor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very much in the way that you could imagine, well, maybe not in the way, but certainly an act that you could imagine Leela going through. Yeah. When the doctor says, here, Leela, take this key, and then says to Barusa, I trust her, 
to go- to safeguard yeah. this key. You could easily have written a scene where she, because she gave her word to the doctor, also gave her life to safeguard this key. Definitely. Yeah. And that could then have been used to convince the Gallifreyans that actually aliens aren't bad people because you would be destroyed had it not been for the interventions of this non-Gallifreyan. Oh. Really missed the trick Number there, one rewrite. Oh. Okay, unless you have a no, segue no, go to for go it, go to. For it. So, this is my biggest continuity issue. Oh, this is going to be we, good. We've <laughs> already touched upon it and you just touched upon it again. Why is Leela allowed to be here? Excellent question. From start to finish. She is not Gallifreyan. She should not be allowed there. Why is she allowed to be there? And uh, why isn't Sarah Jane right there next to her? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have an answer for you. I think maybe they didn't have another idea. Like, what are they going to do? Leave Leela somewhere as well, the same way that they left Sarah Jane? They probably decided, well, we can't do that. Louise Jameson would absolutely not have stood for us. Yeah. I think it's just weird because they sort of try and address it because the doc is being his arsehole self to get stuff uh, working with the invaders because he's got a bigger plan. Yeah. And as part of that, he has brought Leela to Gallifrey, but then expels her from the Citadel. Yeah. Or at least tries to. To keep her safe. Yeah. Again, don't bring her. Exactly. Yeah. Like... <laughs> or don't do this to begin with. Gallifrey had a perfectly functional, perfectly viable force field that kept some Tarans <laughs> yeah. and Vardens out. No problem. Yeah. You done fucked up, Doc. <laughs> you done fucked up big. <laughs> but no, you're right. Do you think possibly that Leela is only allowed to be there because the second Doc arrives, he is the president, and they will do anything the president commands? So he goes, this is my friend. Yes, she is here. I don't know. I just, I'd feel like it needed a bigger deal made of it. I agree. It, I mean, it, they try to constantly say, but but she's an alien, or there's an alien on the loose. At one point, they're looking for an alien. That's the Logan's Run-ish scene, right? Yeah. Yeah, they, they don't let up on their xenophobia. She's always referred to as an alien. That's, yeah. that's fine. That's okay. true. Fit in the brief. Yeah. Uh, until the Vardens arrive, at which point they are the masters, <laughs> well, or yeah. the Sontarans arrive, and they are the excellency. Yeah. Why? Look, stick, stick it on this for a second. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Because yeah. I think it just, in the context of this serial yeah it's not that bad it's just knowing the send-off that sarah jane had just makes that feel extra 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 shitty (laughs) (laughs) just the whole can't even look at gallifrey from inside the tardis like you can't watch it on the monitors nope nothing nothing (laughs) whatsoever you know we can't go in orbit around it and you can look down or i forget exactly what they did but it's just nope simply we're a bunch of racist assholes. No one but us is allowed on our planet. Sorry. Fuck off. That's what Sarah Jane got. Yeah, I agree. I also am now seeing the later reappearance of Sarah Jane in School Reunion with Tennant in a slightly different light. Because remember at the end of School Reunion, uh, when Tennant leaves again, like the Doctor leaves again, and Sarah Jane is left on her own on Earth, the Doc leaves her with a new canine. Right. Like K9 Mark III, I guess. And I think at the time, we even on Who Back When said, and I, I'm sure the trivia says something to the effect of, this is a reference to the fact that when the Doctor left Sarah Jane on, on Earth in Not Croydon, she's there by herself. All of a sudden, a dog appears in frame. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. And it, I, I, I definitely remember, if not on the air, then I remember off the air talking about the trivia associated with Tennant giving her K9, as in, like, the last time we saw her, she was left with a dog. This time we see her, she's left with a dog. Now I'm thinking she was left with K9 by Tennant be- to make up for the fact that the person who got to do that thing that she was uh, kicked off the show because of was left on Gallifrey with K9. Yeah, quite possibly. Like, it kind of balances out a little bit more. It, it's not quite a, I'll show you Gallifrey as well, but it's a, here's that consolation prize. It's like giving Chewie a medal at the end of episode nine. So here's that thing yeah. that you should have gotten, but you didn't get. Your buddy's got it. That's the thing. It's it's more... Spoiler for episode nine, by the way. Wow. Trash. <laughs> not trash. <laughs> wash your mouth up. I'll wash it with this Negroni. <laughs> I don't know if it's slightly more fantasy universe like leveling yeah. ra- rather than in universe leveling yeah I, I don't I see that i don't think sarah jane she doesn't know knows about canine no d- doesn't really know that Wait, does she no she does know about canine oh does she i've forgotten yeah she knows about canine okay somehow sarah jane knows about canine oh was canine around oh, for doesn't she get given canine as part of like the sarah jane adventures or something yeah, she gets given K9 at the end of school reunion and then proceeds to have her spin-off with K9. Oh, she has? I thought she... Didn't she bring K9 to the Doctor? Oh, you're right. She already had... No, you're right. She had K9 and K9 was just like a piece of shit, broken. He No, he explodes. He detonates himself in school reunion. He kamikazes uh... the aliens and then she gets a K9 mark, whatever, you know, X plus one. At the end of it. Right, okay. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, she doesn't have the awareness of what the Doc has been up to. No, that's true. For the, we would have to assume. She doesn't know that Doc has been to Gallifrey potentially multiple times by the end of this with no, other she, companions. she just sees, oh, you have a new face and you have a new companion. That's it. Yeah. But we as the Rose. audience can Rose? look... Yeah, it must be. Yeah. We as the audience can look sideways from that and go, ah, oh, she was abandoned, didn't get to go to Gallifrey. Yeah. Other... Companion, but here you go. Did and they all got to muck around with a dog, and the dog chose to stay with the companion rather than the doctor. There you go. Sarah Jane gets a companion dog. I am super curious now to find out how Sarah Jane gets her first canine. I feel like this might have come up. I think from so too. Possibly Th- one of our listener minis. Actually, I don't know if someone's mentioned that a later doctor does. Isn't there have a multi? Isn't there a multi doctor adventure? Later on, Ooh. that sees Sarah Jane return, and maybe at that point she gets canine. So she must get canine mark two, presumably, or uh, unless there's there are multiple three, canines. Four, in five, yeah, it's but fucking certainly not canines. Not mark one, we would assume that that one. Yeah, exactly. Probably. I mean, unless he's now. a massive douchebag, he goes back to Gallifrey, kidnaps <laughs> canine mark one, <laughs> comes back to Earth, and gives it to Sarah Jane. <laughs> That At this point, like, Leela's been relegated to the Badlands because, like, what is she going to do? Like, is she going to learn how to fold napkins in, in the Gallifrey <laughs> Citadel? No, she's going to go join her cannibal <laughs> friends. A, yeah, of all places for <laughs> Leela to put up shop. Like, yeah. <laughs> Gallifrey? And, and also, it's a planet where they have barbarian vo- warriors. Why does she choose the, the, the very friendly, I mean, seriously, charming chap yeah. who's, like, the posh kid? Why did she choose him? <laughs> he wears trousers, number one. He's a good-looking chap. He has sleeves, number two. <laughs> He's got a sense of morality. Absolutely. He's great. <laughs> I thought Andy was fantastic, by the way. I, I actually it. quite liked Android, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
but the other thing with her being left on Gallifrey, yeah, like I, I have no idea what is coming for the Doctor, but they're not afraid for him to go to Gallifrey, and so if he pops up in a future visit, is it going to be weird that he doesn't seek out Leela? Because I'm presuming we're not going to see her again. You're right. It's not some backwards planet that was a one-off story. This is the most central thing in yeah Doctor Who, <laughs> <laughs> other than Earth. I guess I guess loads of companions maybe get left on Earth, and it's just the assumption. That like maybe he just comes back, and it's so long before or so long after that. Yeah, know, she's not around. She's always out that day. There could be some playing with canine. <laughs> she lives on a farm upstate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would love them to erect a gigantic statue of Leela and K9 in the central square of <laughs> of the Citadel. So that every time the Doctor returns, he has to look at it. And it's just her looking slightly disappointed. <laughs> hey, she should get a statue for that knife throw in the back of the Sontar. That was badass. Like, throwing her voice as well to make it, yeah, it's, it's make it like turn it around. Behind him. <laughs> yeah. Then twang. <laughs> I love your twangs. <laughs> yeah, she straight up murders that guy, and then shortly thereafter, possibly the same or maybe the the episode thereafter, one of the barbarian dudes straight up murders us sometime yeah. in the same way. Yeah, he learned quick. Yeah. Then I think he gets killed. Oh yeah. no, he, he I dies. think he was already dying, and it, it was his throw. dying. It was his death row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I finished my drink. Otherwise, I'd chin chin you. <laughs> Can we take a time out so I can make myself another drink? We can. Massively fantastic. And we're back. (laughs) 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 And we have decided the next topic of conversation is Commander Store. Yeah. Of the Suntaran Special Space Service. The Yes. (laughs) The SSS. We've not had Sontarans for a while. This is the third time that we've had Sontarans on the show, and the last time for a long time. Oh, is it? Yes. So we're now in 78, you said? I think the next time is in 85. Oh, wow. I think so, in uh, The Two Doctors. That is a long time. Yeah. I think I'm not going to miss them. Oh, really? (laughs) I am definitely starting to come around to the idea that the new Who idea with Strax of just playing the comedy card is better is the only way to treat them because treated as a natural villain they teeter on comedy the entire time (laughs) unintentionally really in time warrior as well first Sontaran? maybe not so much in that maybe i think that was handled a lot better yeah i think the surrounding premise was just a bit weird but there there is nothing about these Sontaran invaders that feel particularly threatening and scary (laughs) and commanding or anything they just seem like a bunch of fuckwits yeah they're incompetent just like but everyone is incompetent in this in this serial the Gallifreyans are incompetent the Vardens they have their weird force technology or like you know they're like the weird shield cling film technology but aside from that they are also incompetent I don't know they 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 do pretty well they sign a contract with the doctor (laughs) and they think this is what they managed to invade Gallifrey. That is true. You know what? Yeah, that's true. But do you know why? It's because the Doctor is incompetent. Wow, yes. as well. <laughs> yeah. I I don't think I like had a general opinion when they first appear. It's like a little bit of an eye roll of, okay, there's another invasion happening now. Yeah. And I, I didn't have a massive issue with how Storr was acting to start with. Yeah. By the end of it, oh my God, 
ready to just rip up something, punch is, punch my screen. I don't know. Is this the first time? No, well, yes. Yes, it is the first time that we get to see Sontarans en masse. I mean, I say en masse, like three of them three at a time or four or whatever. So in Time Warrior, it, there's a lone Sontaran. In the Sontaran experiment, it is a lone Sontaran. There is a second Sontaran on the Skype call, but yeah. we basically just... Like, there's always only one Sontaran in any given place. Here we get to see them interact with each other. We see them marching and all that stuff. And they come off as so cheap and so unintimidating. Yes. <laughs> Which is a bit of a... I mean, it's a bit of a disappointment in that sense. The makeup has also changed. The mask has changed again. I feel like the best Sontaran we had was the Sontaran... Oh, is the best one... No, the best one is the Time Warrior, isn't it? I think so. I, I can't quite remember. And then they had to make it airier for... Yeah, they were really struggling. Exactly, they couldn't breathe in that, so that you can see through the eye holes and whatever for Sontaran experiments. This time, they fixed those gaps in the eyes... But they look so... They turned it into a paper mache thing. Yeah, it looks really nice. Like before it was some kind of latex or rubber, or yeah. you would assume. And, but this one is pathetic. Really, bad. quite, yeah. Oh, I'm tempted to do... A, yeah, okay. I'll, sorry, I'll do this. Go to whoback1.com. I will do a like evolution of the Sontarans <laughs> kind of comparison. And I think the tone of their, their colouring has changed quite a bit. It's gone a bit more fleshy pink. Whereas yeah. before it was more kind it, of amphibian almost greeny brown was it i feel like the first one was super dark brown and then it, yeah. it went to the more yeah you're right like more greeny brown in experiments and in this one yeah pink but with like weird brown smudges around the eyes and the mouth i feel yeah like at the corners of his mouth oh i don't know just where, wherever it had to fit onto the skin of the that actual actor. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that might be the colour of the glue that they use yeah. to, to, you know, attach the mask. But yeah, in general, it didn't. I don't buy these Sontarans as warriors. I don't even buy them as sadists, the way that I bought the Sontaran Experiment Sontaran as a sadist. No, that's why I'm not going to miss them for yeah. the seven, seven year years. <laughs> there are other villains that have a more defined nature about them yeah. that work better. These are just second-rate bad guys. They are, aren't they? Yeah. Like, they're, they're meant to be this clone race that is bred to be continuously at war. I forget. I've forgotten the war entirely. You know, we, we've learned that their entire civilization is at war with some other civilization. Yeah. And Doc- Yes, you're right. They're at war with the um, chaps from um, Fang Rock. Oh, yes, that was it. Right? The jellyfish dudes. Yeah. We, we want to see that battle. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> But on a higher budget, perhaps. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah, the, this literally bred to fight warrior race. Yeah. That can't fight. I don't know. Like, their guns don't even seem particularly effective. In this. The guns seem terrible. Doc gets shot, point blank. And he gets doesn't shot, give a shit. He and Barusa get shot from behind by the, um, by the Santarans. And they survive because Barusa is wearing a force shield around his neck. Like, his yeah. necklace is a force shield, so they're safe. But they just walk past those Sontarans, they get shot, they're completely calm. And up until that point, Doc didn't know that Barusa was wearing a force shield. No. He had no idea. So why isn't he running? He just walks slowly down this corridor yeah. where they really can't miss us. It'd to- be fine. Total nonsense. Another problem with the Sontarans here, I think, is... I mean, the Doctor even says to Barusa... They can multiply at a rate of a million every four minutes. Yes. 
So why do we only see three of them? <laughs> I don't know. Even if it's just a matte painting of an army of millions of Sontarans, then, you know, you just see them like sit, standing in a hangar or, aboard one of these spaceships. That would be good. I would be happy with that. Yeah, I think the closest we get along those lines is when Rodan has fixed stuff in the TARDIS and the shields back working and they suddenly turn the screen on and they yeah. and she's going oh yes the battle formation battle formation of the that's the arrow shaft <laughs> yeah hey all <laughs> yeah but even that like it's not representing loads of ships it's not enough either it's, it's a crudely drawn red blob on a screen like it's yeah. not defined in the slightest as being what it's meant to be yeah can i make a quick tangent about rodan yes i don't really get her job so before she before the invasion the first time we get to see her when leela's on one side of the force field which i like by the way i like that leela's pressed up <laughs> this force field and then like falls through it when rodan dis- disables it rodan presses some buttons gives permission to for some ship to pass through a, a shield That's, that seems to be her job like she looks at a force field and decides who can go through and who can't go through yeah and then she says she could never interfere this is i think a reference back to the um prime directive-ish rule of the Time Lords. Right. Like, she could never interfere because Leela wants her to interfere. Leela wants her to help her save the day. But what do you mean you can never interfere? You have literally just specifically given permission to another spaceship to pass through a force field. That is interference. Is that what she does? I Is it not? I think I, I don't have notes around it. I think I remembered it slightly differently. I thought perhaps she was kind of monitoring the space around Gallifrey. Okay. And if it was a species that they knew they could interact with, they might, like, prevent entry. Entry into what? Gallifrey in space, the galaxy, I don't know. But foreigners aren't allowed. Gexit, remember? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think this is where it falls down, because it kind of seems like she's just controlling the barrier, which is very localized. Whereas I wonder if there was a bigger kind of radar system of the galaxy itself, and it's like, okay, you're... You're coming through our airspace sort of thing. Yeah. But you're just passing through. We can tell you're just passing through. You've got nothing to do with us. We don't want anything to do with you because you're too unevolved. I'm not going to hinder your progress. Someone else comes past through and, oh, we know what you are. We don't want you coming close to us. You fuck off now. Here's our barrier. (laughs) Okay. And that's the kind of impression I got. Uh, Because then I think it turns out that it's the Varden ship and she's surprised. Like she is not what she thought it was, and she's accidentally let them through. I can't remember. Oh, is that what happens? Maybe I zoned out. I, I vaguely remember there being a kind of like a, a double take of, oh shit, that's, that's happened now. Or or maybe another, another ship entirely appears on screen, I'm not sure. All right. I'm still not 100% clear. No, but, I'm but, not yeah. either. And I, I actually had a moment where I thought, is she being set up as the new companion? I thought so too, especially when she's repairing the TARDIS. Yeah. Because those two had some chemistry, she had a little bit of sass, she knows a way around time technology. Yeah, definitely. And I have awareness that the Doc at some point has another Time Lord as a companion. <gasps> oh yes, oh yeah. Who I couldn't remember, on. I couldn't remember who the name was, and I, I thought it was further ahead. But yeah, the fact that we get to spend a lot of time with this Time Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, time Lady. Time Lady, I do apologise. Yeah, I, I generally kind of felt like, oh, is, is this the next companion? And yeah. by, by the end of a serial, we have no one else set up for an adventure. 
I, I kind of was Wait, half what expecting... what happens to Roldan? Is she just there she's just, when he leaves? Is, she's I just don't know in... if we see her, actually, but... Because there's no goodbye there. with her. No, no, thank you. No, no, thank you very much. If it hadn't been for you, this entire galaxy would have died. <laughs> well, I guess actually, to be fair, all the stuff she did, Kellner reversed pretty quickly anyway. She does the whole TARDIS spiel that at the very least delays the Sontarans a little bit. Delays a bit, yeah. She's the one who actually assembles the massive rifle. Is that not K9? And she's just K9 gives her instructions and, and she has hands. She builds it. Yeah. Canine but she's instru- hypnotized at this point yeah, that's to basically super weird. do whatever K9 says. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, Doc. Fucking 1970s BBC. That's true. But if she hadn't done that, regardless of whether she's under the you know hypnotic suggestion of the docs, she did it. She didn't. Had she not done it, then no, true. Gallifrey would have been totally boned. True. I thought she was great. I also liked her interactions with Leela. Yeah. I think Leela's interaction with other members were mostly better than Doc's interaction with other members. Cause Doc, Doc was a straight-up asshole. Exactly. Yeah. I think towards the middle and latter parts of the serial... When the plot has kind of unraveled a bit, Doc isn't as much of an asshole. That's true. But it's still quite weird interactions. His entire interactions with Barusa, I was never quite sure. I'm not quite sure who told Barusa to act the way he was acting, but he always had a weird smugness and (laughs) disdain about him. Didn't he kind of have that in The Deadly Assassin as well, though? I don't know. It it felt like I expected it to waver occasionally. (laughs) But it was just constant throughout, and... It made his interactions with the Doctor just quite surreal in some places. Like, every, every time they started talking to each other, whatever might have been happen, happening around plot-wise yeah. just kind of fell to the wayside. Like, any urgency of situations or any gravitas of anything, it was just suddenly these two guys in a room talking about lead walls. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Barusa was done hard by as well. We're told he loves the sound of his own voice, and that's why his secret door, he has like a secret yeah. exit to his room. Is that, yeah, it's just a, it's literally just another entry slash exit point from his office. There's no secret room behind it, right? There, or is there? I don't, I don't think there was originally, but then they turn it into... Into something, yeah, because people yeah. are hiding there afterwards. But it, so he, he has his little... Oh, whatever it is, there's nothing quite so quite as useless as a voice command and yeah. know, whatever it is that he says, which seems really dumb because if it would have been really useful, Doc would not have been able to go through there had he required a specific voice to utter those words. It, it doesn't matter, whatever. So we have in part five, I've written down, there's a whole of one minute plus sequence of Barusa listening in on the Doctor's convo via one of these little balls. Oh, yeah. First, lifting the... Oh, wait, no. A noise accompanying a supposed mechanical thing to get the tapestry out of the way. Yeah. Then saying the... uttering these words, opening the door, going through, not Noise going through the door. Yeah. (laughs) Then he leaves the room again. He closes the door. Then he has to manually (laughs) take the tapestry down. (laughs) And nothing has been achieved by doing this. No. That's what I'm saying, man. (laughs) (laughs) What I achieved at this point was me getting confused. (laughs) Because we've seen Doc go out at that door before. Mm -hmm. And I didn't didn't remember him going into his ironclad room. No, you're right. And I remembered seeing him in the ironclad room 
on a separate occasion and there never being the implication that those places were linked Bruce's office and the ironclad room were linked and then th- it seemed this one minute laborious like scene is just wall to wall is just there to establish oh we didn't tell you before but really these things are right next to each yeah, other yeah, exactly. the dog walked through that ironclad room before and then went out into the corridor it's like that situation where you're on a cruise and you get a cabin for the night and then there just happens to be a door to the neighboring cabin yeah and maybe in the middle of the night that door could open you never know you never know exactly so th- that's the kind of situation we're talking about following on from that exact same scene i've just looked at my notes and i remember that barusa does something of value there which then also never gets revisited. He plays a suppression charge. He plays this noise. Oh, yeah. That distracts everyone, almost knocks out the Sontarans, in fact. And Doc even says, like, that was much louder than it normally is, probably to beat the Sontarans, who are more resilient, maybe. Weirdly, all the Gallifreyans aren't suddenly bleeding from their ears. But but fine, so he does this. It resonates in those helmets, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but... Why not just constantly play that tone? Why not do that again? True. Makes no sense. I think the thing I'm left with, which we touched upon briefly, yeah, is what place we kind of feel Castellan Kellner has in all of this. Because by the end of this serial, yeah. I was genuinely questioning whether he had been in on everything from the start. Cause oh, I don't think so. I don't think it's ever implied that that is the case. But... When it's the Vardens invading, he's very happy to go along with it. And there's a kind of subplot of he might be wanting to take control of the presidency if yeah, the doc, doc is out of the picture. But then once the Santarans are on the scene, like he becomes Stor's go-to for everything. Like He is selling over Gallifrey as quickly as he can print the money. Yes, that's true. You're right. He thinks that he's going to take over, but that's only because he's happy to give up and have someone superior to him like this invasion force hand over the the reins of of um what's it called uh, gallifrey to him I, i've just looked up there's a particular race of alien that he reminds me of and they're called the tivolians they were in the god complex oh yeah they were like the like rodents like yeah. creatures who just constantly get invaded and constantly they're just turn, turncoats whoever invades them they serve them and he seems to be exactly he's just a little weasel the second someone shows up, he's just, yeah, no, b- b- bow down. You're, you're, you're our new leaders. That's w- lovely. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to put up a fight. If you can do something to advance my career, great. <laughs> if you don't kill me, even better. Do you feel like it goes a stage beyond that, though? It's, it's not the full kind of subservient and cowardly. Because there's one point, and I think probably a few occasions fit the bill, but one point I can think of, the Santarans and Kelner are walking down a corridor and they stop because they detect some kind of barrier. Yeah. They're about to like backtrack all the way to some central room or whatever. And he, he yeah, goes, you're right. We don't have to do that. I can bypass stuff, which I think turns out to be the rest of the story <laughs> <laughs> from Kelner's point of view is I think this is when he goes to like the the art gallery corridor, yeah, which is the ancillary power station. <laughs> yeah. I love that, by the way. That's beautiful. It was kind of nice, but then stupid and weird <laughs> i really liked it <laughs> and i mean he calls it the power station but it's literally just a, it's a switch on the wall yeah but it's masked possibly using chameleon circuitry to look like an art gallery isn't that great yeah oh, okay fine <laughs> <laughs> no i'm i'm fine, fine with that. <laughs> 
he's not just kind of I will do what you tell me to do. He's taking the initiative that yeah. you're right. Do you think perhaps that's because he suspects if these guys fail, then I'm deadsville? I just don't understand what his reasoning is that if they succeed, he's not deadsville. Like Devada has seen more of an unknown. That's true. And you could kind of understand that. Like the Time Lords all know what Suntarans are out about. Yeah. And we know what Suntarans are about. I don't have an answer for you. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I think ultimately it just means Kalna's just a dick. Yeah, I think but... he is just a I think you give him too much credit in the intelligence department. I don't think he's that clever. But this is, like you said earlier on this podcast, Yeah. possibly the second most powerful person in Gallifrey. Yeah, he doesn't seem like... I mean, he's done... He does nothing in this six-episode arc to show that he is deserving of any kind of career progression. No. Or trust. Like, you would assume that someone in that position has earned it. Like that, that is a position of trust. Unless he inherited it. I if, think we, unlikely, if we go back to that element. Well, it's it's probably unlikely. In a, no, maybe not. I don't know. Well, his his predecessor was the, the guy that was working for the master. Yeah, you're right. That was the predecessor. So maybe Castellan. most Castellans just... Uh, but at least that guy was Arthats. smart. He was very, he was very he was intelligent. Yeah, I remember him being quite charming as well. He was super charming. Yeah, he you no, know, absolutely. This is a a quivering dick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quivering dick. <laughs> Everyone got that image in your heads? Yeah. Great. Good. Let's let's keep it there for a little while longer and just move along. <laughs> <laughs> Circling back to one of the earlier things we were talking about, what this serial does to set up the mythology and the facts about Gallifreyan society. They apparently don't give a shit about how they make their presidents and they don't give a shit about anyone they how put they into positions of power. they make their vice presidents. Yeah. yeah. What happens to him at the end? It seems like Doc just kind of goes, well, now you learnt your lesson. Now you're going to do exactly as I say. He doesn't go, well, into the Badlands with you. We're going to, you know, we're going to send you out into Mad Max country like an aged judge of Judge Dredd. Like, yeah. It's nothing like that. It's also not, we've seen gods straight up murder fellow time lords in this serial. Yes, very true. But they leave the Castellan be at the end. I actually don't recall like an end scene with him. D- I mean, does, he might not be in the room, but they certainly don't sentence him. No. They don't go like, "Well, you're now going to be in prison for does, the rest of your life or we kill you or we send you off or whatever." Is there any kind of conclusion we see? I think he survives. Yeah. I think he's completely fine. But he's, it's just like, we saw him in the scene with Store, and then we never see him again sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that we don't see him in the farewell scene. I would like to think that yeah. as well. <laughs> but he but might be there. All eight of the cast is in that scene. That's true. <laughs> Had to fill that room somehow. <laughs> Couldn't fill Wembley Stadium, BBC, but... <laughs> Had no trouble squeezing eight people into a giant room. <laughs> yeah. Mm. This serial really builds on a lot of the lore that was set up in The Deadly Assassin, but it doesn't do so very thoroughly. It doesn't really flesh out many of these roles. No. And the thing it builds on more than anything is how shit Gallifrey society is. Yeah, or Gallifrey, yeah. Well, yeah. Time Lords in particular, I guess it is. Yeah. Hey, yo. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yo. Indeed. Before we jump into uh, rating land, can I call on some either sound bites or quotes? Yes, call away. All right. Part six, four minutes, 30 seconds in, this Star trek nugget. I'm a Time Lord, not a, not a painter and decorator. <laughs> nice. <laughs> can I change the laws of physics? <laughs> 
Also, a really nice scene in not a soundbite as such, but a really nice scene in part six is the doctor going, I know the TARDIS like the back of my hand. And he's looking at the palm of his hand, and Leela turns <laughs> his hand over. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, just to segue slightly. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I actually really liked the stupid Scooby Doo Hannah Barbaria. Me too. Walking around. In the TARDIS, you mean? Because I felt like. It was genuinely what the doctor was saying. Like they were going to different locations all the time and Leela was adamant, like we've been here before. And it's like, no, it's just what the TARDIS is like. Yeah, I agree. You you walk through that same place three times and then the fourth time you end up where you want to be. I, oh, I don't want to spoil anything. Are you caught up with New Who? No. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I've watched another one since. Oh, I'm glad. I'm I'm, I'm glad that you have. (laughs) Okay, this doesn't spoil much at all, but the walking into a room, through that room, out of that room, and ending up exactly where you walked into that room in the first place, yeah, that effect, that like visual loop, features in the in a, a, a very recent New Who, you know, <laughs> okay. uh, episode that you have not yet seen. And it, fine, we've probably seen that effect in in many many Doctor Who episodes. We see that in a bunch of sci-fi in general, but. I like the fact that this is something that I just saw on New Who in, you know, Chibnall era New Who. And we also just saw it in the Tom Baker serial that we've yeah. been reviewing. That, that's fantastic. That's just, it's like, it's part of the visual, of, of the aesthetic, of the, the humor of this show. Yeah. I think even given that, though, I quite like that this was an ever so slightly different take on it. Mm. Like, it wasn't the... Static camera, one shot where you walk out that door and you come in on the left and you come in on the door on the right. Yeah. That kind of thing. It was a very laborious, we're walking down this top level, yeah, then go down, down these the steps. steps and, <laughs> yeah. And it was just, it was the fact that they just came across the same room again and again, or the same corridor again and again. Yeah. You know. Anyway, nice. Yeah, Sorry. Totally segued you. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> sound bitey bits. Uh, do I have another soundbite? I do. Here's one from part four, four minutes in. But you have access to the greatest source of knowledge in the universe. Well, I do talk to myself sometimes, yes. I mean the Matrix. Oh, oh that old thing. Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> How about we go into ratings? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. I have to start by saying that for about half of this serial, I didn't like the Doctor one bit. Ooh. I always assumed, whilst not liking him, I always assumed that he had deliberately cast himself as the um, despotic ass clown. Uh, and that deep down inside, he was still himself. But nonetheless, he still came off as really arrogant and, and quite the turd gobbler. For the other half, however, <laughs> I absolutely loved him. He was on top form in his interactions with Barusa. Yeah, we talked about this before, and and more importantly with Leela, up until and not including the final non-goodbye. So, yeah, great, good, thumbs up. I'll segue from that to Leela. Wowee, does she ever get to have some agency in this one? I don't even have to agree with her side quest to, you know, join a tribe of Conans. I love the fact that she has one and that she pulls it off with aplomb. The other ancillary character, good guy, peeps, Rodan, Andy... K9, all great, though again, I would have liked to have seen more of the robotic pooch. Um, the bad guys, though, sweet, buttery Moses. <laughs> oh, starting with Castellan. Castellan plays his shitty part very well. I don't like the character, but he does it really well. The Vardens, however, are 
truly terrible. And the Sontarans are also rather disappointing. We've already gone over the reasons for that. The most interesting part of this serial for me, though, is the added lore and the profundity given to Gallifreyan society and, literally, to the TARDIS. Starting with the latter, the rooms, the corridors, the really naff curtain bits, which is clearly not inside a time-travelling police box. <laughs> Finally, the swimming pool. I loved it all. Fantastic. I'd say more of that, please, but I don't want them to overdo it. And I also looked this up and, and I, I read that we don't actually get to see anything even remotely like this until Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Oh, wow. So this is uh, not quite, but almost one-off. As for the Gallifreyan Society, though, we learned less about it in The Deadly Assassin, and I felt like I had more of a handle on it then. It's just been diluted, and I didn't like what we got here. Ultimately, I sort of just have to stop and scratch my head on the BBC's behalf, because I don't feel like the plot of this serial was at all necessary, and, and frankly... When the Doctor gets laser-induced amnesia at the end of part six and forgets about this serial, I'm a little jealous because it doesn't <laughs> correspond to my childhood memory at all. <laughs> right before we press record, I wrote down my rating as, quote, somewhere between 0.4 and 2.4. Okay. <laughs> Broad range there. But I'm going to settle on 0.8. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Oh, oh no, I have a feeling you're way higher. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Do it. Very, very nice mini. Thank you for that. Oh, you're quite welcome. <laughs> so I wrote some numbers down before I started this as well. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to change them by the end. Oh, really? Me talking. Very curious now. Like, I think for the most part, we're on the same page. Like the Varden invasion. I actually, I didn't really mind it so much when they were shimmery stuff and it was all a bit intriguing. It yep. really bugged me that the one Varden that spoke was a terrible actor. <laughs> yeah. It literally <laughs> felt like someone two rooms away, not having any feeling of what was going on in the room, just kind of going, yes, doctor, why don't you do this now? <laughs> But I still kind of, I still kind of liked it. I, I was swept up in the intrigue, mm -hmm. which fueled episodes one and two. The Doctor was obviously an asshole, and I didn't like that the Doctor was an asshole. But I was intrigued as to why the Doctor was an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> okay, and somehow that managed to kind of like get me through those those opening episodes and feel like this could be a good serial. Like there could be something interesting. We're we're in Gallifrey. The Doc is now the president of Gallifrey, mm -hmm. but he's trying to make an alien force invade Gallifrey. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> I think through our conversation, that's died down a little bit. Okay. I can see that there were flaws even in those first couple of episodes. Right. But I still kind of enjoy it. I feel like if they'd wanted to like reshape the middle and latter half of the serial, that could have been a good opening for a different story. But they didn't. They, they gave us what they gave us. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Where the Vardens, I don't know, the... They're humans? Are they humans? I don't know. That's not explored. They're Vardens, but they're referred to as just humans. Yeah. Yeah. Just, okay, there they are. There's the Vardens. But then we've got rid of the Vardens. I can't remember how they get rid of the Vardens now. They're just done with. They're time-looped. They're time-looped. Yeah. Of course. Fine. All, all neatly <laughs> wrapped up there. A bit of an anticlimax. Then we got Santarans. It was a, a plot within a plot. Whatever. But then we had the Santarans actually being Sontarans and being terrible and being clumsy and over the top 
if it was one thing or the other, if the entire thing had just been a bit lighthearted, intentionally being that the bad guy is a bit shit, yeah, could be on board. If it had been okay, there's this this intrigue. There's a the doc is being coerced, or he's got a big master plan going through, and you carried that through the rest of the story. That could have been something, but no, they shove them together, which means neither of them work. And to top that off, we get this being the end of a series and the end of a companion. Yeah. And oh yeah. It's not good enough for either of those. Like the whole series itself is not good enough to be the end of a series. But then the way Leela is treated as she exits is pathetic. There's a room in between killing off the character, making her stay on Gallifrey with a guy she's shared three lines of dialogue with. Yeah. Like, you can write something better for this character that's been in the show for a year and a half, two years, I don't know. Long enough that we cared about her. Certainly. Definitely on this podcast. And K-9 is thrown into the mix as well of just, you know what, I prefer mistress over master. I'm going to stay and bugger off. (laughs) <laughs> not, well, not bugger off. I'm not going to go into the TARDIS anymore. And it's, yeah, it's just the the weak, soppy bread at the end of an otherwise dissatisfactory sandwich. Oh, wow. Or, oh, I'm, it's been so. an emotional roller coaster because I have no idea what you're going to land on. Neither do I. <laughs> so insight into where I started. I genuinely would have given episodes one and two like a 4.2 or something. Oh, <laughs> Uh, okay. Right, after on. my after my first <laughs> watching, without any kind of real analysis. All right. Episode three to six, I would have quite happily gone like a I don't know one point zero. Oh, this we're so in at, at odds about this. <laughs> this is fantastic. Which gave me a uh, not in any way kind of average, but an overall of sort of like a two point two. Two. Oh, okay. Oh, but all right. Okay. The whole thing has become tainted since then. So. <laughs> I feel like it all has to drop a little bit. And so the number circling around my head at the moment is going to be a nice 1.5. 1.5? Can't quite rip it to shreds in the same way you have. I apologize. The intrigue is still left dangling. It's there. <laughs> yeah, much like the other things. Brilliant mini. Love it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Shall we have a listen to what uh, Podcast Land thinks? Let's do that. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Holy moly, seven listener minis. Seven. Thank you, everyone, who sent something in. But it's not the seventh. Seven. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to the seventh <laughs> one. And we're starting off with Paul Forber. Hello there, Paul. Hello, Paul. Paul starts, The Time Warrior foreshadowed the invasion of time when the Doctor revealed he was from Gallifrey and warned the Santarans against invading. This sequel to The Deadly Assassin reunited only the Doctor and Cardinal Barusa, revisiting their teacher-student relationship. New Castellan Kellner treated Gallifrey like a banana republic after a revolution, diminishing the Time Lords. Leela trusted the Doctor despite being banished to prevent her from instinctively knowing what was happening. Like the audience, she slowly came to, the, to understand his actions as she took space traffic cop Rodan from the capital and returned with the Shobagon. Wait, they had a name? <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, that was the Barbarians. That was the Kodans. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> as president... Continues Paul, the Doctor lined his office with lead to block the insubstantial Varden's ability to monitor any wavelength, including thought. He needed to warn the Time Lords about these cunning, powerful enemies he constantly tried to persuade to fully materialize so he could defeat them. The Vardens, though, 
were merely unwitting shock troops. Indeed. Paul continues, the Sun Tyrant's arrival was their best moment, heralding an anticlimactic chase through the TARDIS. Its disappointing aftermath saw Leela and K-9 stay, so she could marry Guard Captain Andred, whom the audience may have glimpsed her glimpse. The Doctor, though, didn't leave alone. The first four episodes of The Invasion of Time feature excellent storytelling, concludes Paul. Introducing powerful, new enemies we, like Leela, trust the Doctor to defeat, despite being baffled. Vardens and Sontarans both threaten the Time Lords. Superior tacticians employing shock troops and a climactic chase through the TARDIS are both fascinating ideas. Their execution in the last two episodes, sadly, was not. And Paul gives this a rating of, we don't know. Okay. Out of five. (laughs) We don't know out of five? That's a fantastic rating. (laughs) (laughs) And a great many. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, People who are not Paul, please say hello to Paul on Twitter. Paul can be found at WordsmithPaul. Thank you, Paul. Next up, we've got Peter Zunich. The Zunmeister. Hello there, Peter. Hiya. For me, the first four episodes of this story are amongst the best two ever. <gasps> oh, Paul, it's that friend who agrees, who agrees with you. With you. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to steal your thing and getting it. Go for it, go for it. Peter does continue, of course. That's not it. I've seen this story countless times, yet Baker's portrayal is so cryptic that there are moments when I still think he might have indeed sold out. Leela, Barusa, and Kelner are likewise perfectly played, each stealing every scene, and at times even from one another. The plot is intricate, continues Peter. The sets are beautiful. The Vardens are an interesting concept. It's simply four episodes of being on the edge of your seat. The last two parts wrap up the story well, and it's topped with a satisfactory and yet unexpected conclusion. Mm. Unfortunately, the story is padded with too much walking down corridors and a penultimate scene that's rushed and confusing. It's not altogether horrible, but it fails to live up to parts one to four. This is, this is I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> it's obvious that Rodan and Romana were modelled off one another, or indeed were at one time meant to be the same character. This is getting back to your argument here. Yeah. That's okay, though, says Peter. Doctor Who draws some of its best moments from itself. And while I'll miss Leela, Romana is again such a unique character that I look forward to her arrival. I've just seen a little bit of a head. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a a summary here. There's nothing more useless than a fan who's a critic. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Well, Peter, (laughs) hope you enjoyed the last (laughs) two hours (laughs) plus. Sorry. Yep. But Peter does give this a rating of 4.6 out of 5. Peter, you know the next words out of my mouth, right? You have a huge heart. <laughs> I'm loving this. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. This is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, Peter. Excellent mini. Marvellous stuff. Thank you, Peter. Next up, we've got Chris Stapps Paddock. Hello there, Chris Stapps. Hiya. The world-building story that no one ever asked for. <laughs> this is a nice segue from Peter. <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor as President of the Time Lords. While technically building on a prior serial... Feels like the kind of lazy script writing that played a lot of late 70s sitcoms, especially when the Sontarans inexplicably arrive. They might as well send the Doctor on holiday to Spain and get him mixed up in a detective caper involving a B-list celebrity. I'd love to see that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's me, says Chris Stamps. 
but it all feels a bit shark jumpy and Leela doesn't get a good departure. Fortunately, things will soon take a turn for the better. And he gives this a rating of 2.4. Nice. Very nice. Very succinct, but yeah. summing it all up nicely. Yeah, I love it. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Uh, people who are not Chris Dapps, fret not, you can high five Chris Dapps online at Paddock ND. No doubt. <laughs> Next up, we've got Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. Wow, have you grown? Michael starts with some things he likes. Okay, Michael starts with the one thing he likes. <laughs> the Santarans being clobbered with a deck chair. <laughs> Technically, a uh, given it epitomizes everything that is rubbish about the Santarans <laughs> in this story. But at least it was funny. It was, it was. But fret not, there are more boobs to come. First, boof. if Deadly Assassin depicted Gallifrey in decline, it has hit rock bottom in Invasion. It looks shoddier than blown up Gallifrey in Series 12. Why is every room kitted out with a world of plastic chairs? The Amber Alert Ball is ridiculous. We didn't talk about that. <laughs> the guards are buffoons and it's deeply underpopulated. Where is everybody? Indeed. Yeah, I, d- I did actually want to make a reference to the Amber Alert and then later a Red Alert because it's um, <laughs> such a crossover into Red Dwarf. And oh, really? They have a Red Alert bulb. Oh, pu- yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've seen that. That's very good. Yeah. That's good. Are you absolutely sure? It does mean changing the bulb. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, continuing with Michael's... <laughs> Doctor, your master plan, whatever it was, was beyond stupid. And why are you nonplussed about the massacre of Gallifrey's finest? Yeah, good point. Next beef. The exiled Time Lords turned cavemen are utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Uh-huh. Baddies made of tinfoil on a string. This is the same year as Star Wars. Right? <laughs> it's after, Michael. It's after. <laughs> <laughs> but also, actually, I didn't mind them. <laughs> yeah, they were fine, I thought, as well. Yeah. And, in fact, I don't know if we said this, but the spaceship intro sequence where it flies overhead, the, yeah. like the very opening scene, super Star Warsy, That's super nice. Yeah, very nice. I like yeah, what happened? That's where they blew the budget. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's one more beef. Uh, goodbye, Leela. <laughs> Sniff. Oh, one of the most interesting companions in Who. Good for you for not letting anyone change your homicidal tendencies. But where in fiddlesticks did that romance come from? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no one knows. Michael offers up some trivia. If Bloodthirsty Leela and Sussy Clara suffered a transporter merger, as happened to Neelix and Tuvok in critically acclaimed Star Trek Voyager episode Tuvix, which I enjoyed, we would get Seven's Doctor Doctor. Companion Ace. Oh, very interesting. Would we now? <laughs> really rather looking forward to it this time. I like Tuvix, by the way. Have you seen it? I actually don't know if I have. It's redonkulous. And then, Sounds it. Oh, I don't want to spoil the ending. We can talk about it when you've seen it. Anyway, um, <laughs> Michael adds, in summary, I was so excited to revisit Gallifrey after Assassin, I wish I had preserved that excitement and then died in my slow. <laughs> oh, wow. God. So, not very... Uh, Surprising when we get to the rating, which Michael has concluded <laughs> at a 0.5 out of 5. All involved in this story should be stripped naked and marched through the streets of London whilst pelted with rotten food and feces, oh. with someone behind them ringing a bell shouting, SHAME! Over and over. Nice, Paul. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent mini as always. 
Tell him if you agree or disagree. He is at bad underscore movie underscore club. That's all you've got. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Next up, we've got Phil Salter. Hello there, Phil. Hello, Phil. Phil starts, what a mixed bag of a story. From a disappointing last-minute love story to the baking foil, in brackets, human enemies, to the last-minute Sontaran appearance and subsequent run around the TARDIS, it's an odd one. On one level, you have to appreciate the scope of this story. It's quite big, but manages that within the self-contained nature of a Doctor Who episode. Several unrelated points follow. Leela clearly fell in love with the wrong guy. <laughs> Why the captain of the guard? Why not the head of the outcasts? Surely a much better fit. Absolutely. <laughs> All Sontarans should be fully equipped with an East End accent, please. <laughs> <laughs> I get that K9 Mark II box is a reassuring moment for the kids, but where does he actually get that kit from? On another note, a new season means a rebuilt canine. Most crucially of all, his motors get quieter. Still bad, but there we go. Thank goodness, though. This episode was really, or this serial was really loud. Yeah. And the engine, like the little ear engine things, crazy loud. Anyway, uh, next uh, unrelated point. I love the basic idea that not all Gallifreyans are Time Lords, somewhat explored in this story. Hmm. Mm-mm. The fact that Tom turns to camera to make a glib joke about the Sonic just about represents the point I stop enjoying Tom. Oh. He starts off amazingly, but kind of falls away. By the end of his time, I'm desperate for him to just die and move on. Oh, goodness. Oh, wow. Wait, haven't we got like a ton couple of... A f- We're like halfway through Tom Baker, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Final point. An interesting tale rounds off a very rocky season for me. I'll give it a 2.2, says Phil. Mmm. Nice. I'm seriously loving the huge scope of attention that this serial is garnering. It's a very scattergun. Uh, it really is. Rating system we have here. <laughs> Phil's not on Twitter, but he makes mention of it to say, even Twitter won't get me out of this one. <laughs> nice one, Phil. Thank you very much. Excellent. Next up, we've got Paul Warren. Hello, Paul. Hello. <laughs> you I don't know like, why that's a question. That sounds like a, yeah, are you unsure? Hi, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Paul. Paul starts. The Invasion of Time was one of only two Doctor Who books in the library at school. And as a result, I know this story well. <laughs> I like the idea of the Vardens traveling along all wavelengths and the Doctor having to mentally block them, even if their realisation on screen looks like someone waving a piece of tinfoil around. It's interesting to see the Santarans in force too, given that both previous appearances were solitary, and their willingness to sacrifice another race purely to establish a beachhead for an invasion feels very much in character. That's a good point, actually. Milton Johns excels as the sycophantic and toady Castellan, ingratiating himself before the Doctor, the Vardens, the Sontarans, and then back to the Doctor. The interplay between the Doctor and Barusa is entertaining, continuing the student-teacher interplay from The Deadly Assassin. Indeed. The major flaw in this story, says Paul, is Leela's departure. Once again, a female companion is written out by deciding to stay with a bloke she's only just met. Mm. This feels particularly lazy when it comes to Leela, who should have had a more heroic way of leaving the series. Oh, and it's nearly all men on Gallifrey again. The only female Time Lord is relegated to what is effectively a low-grade admin job. That's true, but she she does, like, save the day. <laughs> she does, and she, she has do- a lot of... She doesn't quite get credit for it, though. No. 
But she has a lot of screen time as well. Yeah, she does. That's probably the most I've ever seen of a female side character. Yeah, absolutely. Overall, says Paul, an enjoyable story let down a bit by its treatment of female characters. And he gives this 3.5 out of 5. Nice. Very good. Thank you very much. Paul can be found on Twitter. You should tell him how you feel about his mini. He can be found at P. Waring. That's P. Waring. <laughs> Great stuff. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Next up and last up. Nick. Hello there, Nick. A.K.A. The Doctor. Nick starts, This story is a real Gallifreyan epic, which builds on the backstory developed in Deadly Assassin. There have been hints to Time Lord history in Underworld and Fendal recently. A lot of the future shaping of the Time Lords as a race stems from this period of Doctor Who. The Santarans reveal at the end of Episode 4 is an iconic moment in classic Who. They do look rather weird and not particularly scary, admittedly. Better with helmets at this point. Mm. The whole hidden foe element before this is intriguing. Tom Baker excels at playing the role of being under duress to them, but always being one step ahead. Some other highlights. We see more of the TARDIS. A lot more. The chase around the capital and then the TARDIS was legendary. But was the TARDIS interior some sort of joke? They could have at least put up a few shiny panels, even on a budget. What we saw was clearly the back end of the BBC studio building. The interplay of tutor-student with Barusa was great. Another obligatory uprising with non-Time Lord Gallifreyans, who Leela seemed quite at home with. The weedy backstabbing Castellan. And Nick has given us some highlighted quotes. Ooh. Leela, try not to kid anyone. <laughs> Except the rod of Rassilon. Oh. <laughs> I'll miss you too, savage. A nice way to end Leela's tenure, says Nick. And Nick's rating is... A solid 4.0. Wow. Wowie, Nick. <laughs> this is so good. We have gone, like, all over the place. We have. Wait, doesn't Nick have a large organ of some kind? <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you have a huge heart. <laughs> so big. <laughs> I'm seriously loving how we get naught point bits and four point bits for the same serial. You're just loving everyone's bits. I'm a big fan of bits. Yep. Yeah, sue me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very, very much, Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor. Thank and you thank me. you very much to everyone who sent in uh, a listener mini for this one. Yes, thank you all. Really fantastic stuff. Before we round off this episode, we'd also really like to give a shout out to Joey, and a recommendation to everyone to go and check out his blog. Joey is Doc Oho at Doc Oho, D-O-C-O-H-O. And his uh, Doc Oho Reviews blog is absolutely spiffing. We'd like to say thank you very much for giving us a very warm-hearted review. Yes, very, very nice of you, Joey. Yeah. I, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with this. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> Okie dokie. I mean, that sort of rounds off this... Uh, Whovian soiree, doesn't it? What have you got coming up next? Well, next we will probably have a new who. Mm-mm. New who? Where discussions will be made over the caretaker. I hinted at this in the last one. I've got some seriously juicy, for me, <laughs> trivia about the caretaker. Ooh. Yeah. No one else will find it interesting. <laughs> 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 Is it about mops? Nope. <laughs> After that, we're back in classic territory with, we're not sure how to pronounce this, I think possibly the Ryboss operation. Let's go with it. The 
volleyballs operation. Oh, the volleyballs. Oh, yes. At some point, we'll probably also do an audio who review, in which case it will be of the Book of Kells. Nice. Mm-mm. But in the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Jim, you are on Twitter, I believe. Yes, you can find me at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the Who, you say? That's exactly what I said, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> Good branding. And I am at Pumpkin. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> You're not as quick on your feet, are you? <laughs> you know what? If you follow me on Twitter and you say hello, I will say hello back. And you know what? I might even tell you why, why it's at Pumpkin. All that remains is for us to say thank you so much for being a lovely audience. You are absolutely wonderful. Until the next time, please rock on. Be rad and excellent to one another. Ciao, ciao. Yes, have wonderful weeks. And if the sun's shining, go out and play. But look both ways before you cross the road. <laughs> See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?